welcome to SGTM Talks. We hope you find this encouraging and inspiring. Throughout scripture, we see how God uses various individuals despite their weakness. Nay, one might wonder even if it's because of their weakness. So we come to week two on this sermon series on David. Let me read to you 1 Corinthians 1, reading from verse 26. I think this summarizes beautifully God's heart for all of us. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. That's definitely me. Uh, Not many were influential. That's definitely me. Not many were of noble birth. Most definitely me. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. Now surely as we think about David, we think of a man who exemplifies that perfectly. A man who was, in the words of Paul, foolish and weak, lowly and despised. The highest peaks, deepest troughs throughout his life, and yet he's remembered as one of the greatest men in history, used by God in the most extraordinary of ways. And it started in the most unusual way that I'll read to you now, in 1 Samuel chapter 16. Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long are you going to mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem, for I have selected from his sons a king for myself. How can I go? Samuel asked. Saul will hear of it and kill me. The Lord answered, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. And then invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what you are to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. So... Samuel did what the Lord had said and went to Bethlehem. When the sisters of the town, sorry, my eyes, the elders of the town saw him, they trembled and said, do you come in peace? I'm going to raise this. There we go. Uh, In peace, he replied, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and said, Surely here before the Lord is his anointed. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or height. I've rejected him. The Lord does not see as man does. Man sees the outward appearance, but the Lord sees the heart. Well, then Jesse called Abinadab and presented him to Samuel, who said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. Next, Jesse presented Shammah, but Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Thus, Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel told him, the Lord has not chosen any of these. Samuel asked him, are these all the sons you have? Well, they're still the youngest, Jesse replied, but he's tending sheep. Send for him, Samuel replied, for we will not sit down to eat until he arrives. So Jesse sent for his youngest son and brought him in. He was ruddy with beautiful eyes and a handsome appearance. Sounds like Jack. And the Lord said, rise and anoint him for he is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. Then Samuel set out and went to Ramah. Rise and anoint him for he is the one. 
It's perfectly fitting that David's, the, the, the name David, you probably know this, means beloved or friend. He's a man whom history records as being profoundly loved by his Father in heaven, a friend of God. But it all started in such a lowly, weak, foolish, and despised way, doesn't it? We meet David when the nation of Israel was once again, struggling profoundly, physically and spiritually. King Saul had been large and in charge for some time. The people had cried out for a king. They finally got one in the shape of Saul, and then empowered by the Spirit, he had led the Israelites to a great defeat of the Ammonites. But then disobedience follows disbelief. Saul starts to believe his own press. God stops seeing him as the rightful king of the people, and his power and presence lifts off Saul. This is scary stuff. Enter stage left, the prophet Samuel. God says, go to Bethlehem, I've chosen a man. So off Samuel goes, expecting to find and appoint a man, a man, not a boy. Samuel is upset that Saul has blown it, so he sets out to find a replacement, and it will at least be like for like, hopefully an upgrade. Surely Samuel is expecting Saul 2.0, bigger, better, faster, wiser, in 4K HD, and so one by one, Jesse's sons come and stand before Samuel. It's like a beauty pageant or a talent contest as they come in one after the other. Eliab, Abinadab, Shammah, stepping into the limelight of BGT, Bethlehem's Got Talent. Samuel initially assumes that Eliab must be the guy. But Samuel has, as Jack unpacked for us last week, from the earliest age, known what it is to discern God's voice. And so Samuel knows in that moment, oh, this is really disappointing because this guy looks great. He's not the one. The Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height. I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And so the rest of the lineup come out on stage, four more. Surely it's one of these. All, are these all the sons you have? Seven of them. Send for him, they say, because they say, oh, there's, there's one more. He's, he's the youngest, but he's sending the sheep. Samuel says, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. There's so many scriptures that I look at and I ponder and I think, well, I don't get that. We will not sit down until he arrives. It's got to be some sort of cultural reference to something. It seems a bit overly emphatic of Samuel, doesn't it? I have no doubt it is some cultural custom that's going on there, but it seems pretty strange. Imagine how awkward and, and unrelaxing it was, just standing there staring at each other, waiting for David. I really hope he wasn't five hours away on top of a hill somewhere. So he sent for David, had him brought him. He was glowing with health, had a fine appearance and handsome features. There's a reason that David is glowing with health is because he's out with the sheep every day. He's not glowing, he's sunburnt. Let's be honest, this is like some remake of Cinderella. He's been completely forgotten. It's extraordinary that this is in the Bible. He's still the youngest, but he's tending the sheep. This is his dad speaking. I so want to read this. Oh, yes, of course, there's David, my baby boy, my pride and joy. Uh, he's up on the hill looking after the flock. What a great guy. So responsible. Let me go and get him. I'll go and get him. The trouble is it kind of speaks for itself. You can almost see the look of bafflement on Jesse's face. It's almost a sneer. He's so incredulous. Well, they're still the youngest, Jesse answered. He's tending the sheep. David is an afterthought, even to his own father. You know, in Scripture, the number seven represents perfection, completion. I don't think it's any coincidence that David is number eight. He's surplus to requirements. He's the lowest rank in his family. He's the runt of the litter. 
he is surplus to requirements, the unnecessary extra. The unnecessary extra. I was an unnecessary extra once in uh, a film extra in the early 90s. I was in the great wedding scene at the beginning of Kenneth Branagh's Hamlet. Awesome costume, massive moustache. And uh, sure, it was fun, and I made more money than throwing pizzas for the day. But I've seen the scene, and I've seen my place in the scene. Talk about surplus to requirements. I was most definitely the definition of an unnecessary extra. That's David. He's a bit player. He's just making up the numbers in the background somewhere up until this point. Small, insignificant, lowly, despised, foolish, weak. Until Samuel, the man of God, steps in. One of my questions for you today is, have you ever felt like that? Have you ever been passed over in some way? Have you ever had some career advancement pass by that you should have been considered for? A relationship where you were mostly forgotten about? Unseen. Perhaps, let's ask the difficult question, perhaps even by your own father, your own mother. Perhaps you didn't come from a family with loads of money. You didn't go to a great school. You're embarrassed when people say, what do you do? Perhaps you've never been the brightest or the coolest or the most successful. But you know what? I think that's why this is in the Bible in the first place. It's a huge, huge encouragement to each and every one of us. Please hear this. It's a thousand million times more important who you are than what you do. God sees you. Your Father in heaven sees you. He knows you and he loves everything about you. Your Father in heaven is all about you. All about you. Doesn't matter what you think about yourself. It doesn't matter what others think about you. Tap into what God thinks about you. It's not about success. It's not about your CV, your resume. What really counts in life. If you forget every part of this talk, which I'm sure you will, remember this one beautiful truth about the God we worship. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And Samuel sees David. Bells go off inside. Fireworks are going off inside. Just like Jack said last week. He knew. In that moment, this is the one. All that time training his conscience to discern the voice of God, Samuel knows that he knows that this is the guy. And so despite all the indications to the contrary, David is the one that God chooses. And in that moment, he's anointed king. So lowly, but God used him for such great things. Let me close by telling you a story of how God used one woman in this instant, very, very lowly, to spark a chain of events. So down in Brighton, if you know Brighton, there's, in the center of Brighton, there's what is basically Brighton's cathedral. It's called St. Peter's Brighton. And it was closing down. It had four people left in the congregation, and they were going to close it. It would probably become flats or a carpet warehouse. In Hove next door, the town next door, there was this quiet, unassuming, older Christian lady called Pam. And she saw a box classified ad in the local newspaper that said, St. Peter's is closing. 
If you have any views on this, write to the church commissioners at this address. And what she did was, she just thought, I've got an idea. No. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to do that. And so she cut out the box ad, and she sent that box ad to her son, who was working at HTB, Holy Trinity Brompton, in central London, known for its church planting across the city of London, but it had never done any church planting beyond London. The story goes that St. Peter's then became the first church plant outside of London by Holy Trinity Brompton. There are now, 15 years later, a thousand people in that congregation. Not only that, but that started a snowball effect of church planting around the entire nation and even across the world. And so now, over 70 churches like St. Peter's have blossomed in all kinds of cities all over the place. Just because that one unassuming, lowly lady cut out that box ad and sent it. I know that that story is 100% true because Pam is my mum. Earlier we read from 1 Corinthians 1, especially verse 26. I'd like to close by reading it in its full form. And I'd love to do this in, by way of a prayer. If we could close our eyes and let the scripture flow over us. It's entitled, Christ Crucified is God's Power and Wisdom. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us, it is, it is uh, sorry, we are saved by the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It's because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, our holiness and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Let's stand together and pray and ask, Holy Spirit, would you give to each of us standing in this room right now a renewed and fresh sense of who we are in you. We may feel foolish, weak, lowly, but the message of the cross is exactly that. It's all upside down. And we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the love of God expressed through the cross to each one of us here today. No matter what we think of ourselves, 
you love me. In the quiet of your heart, repeat that. Say, thank you, Father, for loving me. And I offer you my life. Use me to bring your wisdom to this world. Thank you for listening to SGTM Talks. We hope you found this insightful and inspiring and can tune in again soon. In the meantime, try out our website, sgtm.org.